Lord, thank you that we can celebrate every day that just the thought of you and what you've done, who you made us to be, who you've called us, you've called us by name, and the forgiveness that you pour out every moment of every day. We thank you that every day is a celebration of your goodness, of your presence, of your peace, of your power, and your never-ending, never-failing love. Thank you for being here. Thank you that your spirit breathes life on your words and that your word is alive and it's active and it's powerful and it's here this morning to transform us in your presence and with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) If you have a Bible, and you would like to, you could turn to Luke chapter 13. This is, has been for years, actually one of my favorite healing stories in the Bible. And I've never taught on it. Because it's kind of just, every word of it is so powerful. It kind of just stands really gloriously on its own. (laughs) But this past week, uh, the Lord was like, I couldn't get away from it. And the Lord was like, okay, it's time to talk about this story, okay? So if you guys are there, we're going to start in Luke chapter 13, verse 10. It says, now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years And she was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not, for those of you that think Jesus is like always just really kind and gentle, (laughs) hypocrite. Although, I'm sure he meant this in the most kind way. (laughs) Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. 
And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have been there in the service? <laughs> like, I bet you could have heard a pin drop <laughs> until the moment when everyone was just like celebrating. Okay? So there's a lot more going on in this story. It goes way beyond the, just the woman and the Sabbath and the synagogue ruler, okay? This story is kind of a microcosmic telling of the larger picture of what is happening with the people of God in Israel at the time, okay? So this woman had a physical condition where she was bowed over and she could not stand up straight, Okay? Okay, you guys good so far? Okay, this word that is translated as infirmity, it literally means without strength. Okay? It wasn't used for every type of sickness. It was specifically used for a condition where one lacked the strength to do something that they would normally be able to do. Okay? You guys good so far? Okay, it didn't just refer to a physical sickness. It was also included lacking strength spiritually or morally. Okay? It was any condition where one was in a, in a condition of disadvantage where they felt limited. Okay? So it meant, in the verb form, it means without ability, without power, or without authority. Okay? So... It, 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 it encompasses all the areas of lacking the strength to stand, whether physically, morally, or spiritually. Okay? You guys good so far? So the, the condition that this woman is was the embodiment of what was happening in Israel at the time. Because, because they were governed by Rome they believed that they were in a condition of disadvantage where they were limited and that they lacked the strength or the power or the authority to change their circumstances. Okay? They lacked the strength to stand up straight. Okay? Are you guys okay so far? Okay. But in reality, Israel, like the woman, was bound by a spirit that was, that was far more powerful than Rome. And they were letting this spirit keep them in this condition of disadvantage where they could not stand up. Okay? Are you guys okay so far? Okay. So they were so bound in this position and in this belief of their own disadvantage that they allowed it to impact what they believed about their covenant with God. And they reduced their covenant with God to a governing authority that worked much like Rome, where they were controlled and restricted with a set of rules and condition that they must follow to earn favor. Okay? That is why there was always this battle over healing on the Sabbath day. Because they, 
every time Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, and he did it quite often, everyone would get mad and say, you're breaking the rules. Okay? Does that make sense so far? Are you guys okay? So they had forgotten that their covenant with God, although it contained laws within it, was driven by mercy. And its authority was for their protection and their empowerment, not their control. Okay? Does that make sense so far? So because this is what they had reduced the covenant of God to, the Pharisees had written this long list of rules that they had to follow in order to earn the favor of God back. And they were in addition to and in conjunction with the law of God. And in this long list of laws and rules that they had written out was what was considered work and what wasn't considered work on the Sabbath. And they had, they had decided healing is considered work, so you can't do that on the Sabbath. But that was never God's intention, right? Okay? So Jesus walked among them, reminding them of who they are. Reminding them, hey, you have a covenant. You have promises of God on your life. Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man, I mean, Sabbath was made for man, not man to serve the Sabbath. God's rules and his laws were made for you, not you to serve them. And so he's waking them up and he's reminding them of who they are. So he gets, he says, hey, ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath from that which binds her? He's, he's saying, hey, this woman right here is heir to a promise. This woman has a covenant. She is a daughter of Abraham. This land is her land. This land is your land. This covenant is her covenant. This covenant is your covenant. Y'all are going to sing the song. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if I could sing, I might have been. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't mean to. Yeah, anyway. That's awesome. So he's, uh, so he, yeah, thank you. So, so he's, he's reminding them, hey, I made a covenant with Abraham that he would, his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. Okay. So no matter who holds the earthly power, you still hold the power of my promises. That doesn't cancel my promises to you. So don't let your fear of what you see cause you to stop accessing the promises of God on your life. Okay? Okay? Because of the, because of the oppression that they felt by Rome, they allowed something much more powerful to come in and influence their belief system and their thoughts. Okay? Does that make sense? And so they forgot who they were, and they forgot that they had an inheritance, and they forgot how to access the promises of God on their life. Okay? You guys okay so far? All right. So let's talk about for a minute how, how they got here in this position and what we can do if we find ourselves without strength. Okay? You guys okay? You ready? 
Number one, if we are without strength, we may have allowed the forces of the political spirit to create a version of who we are based on fear. <laughs> Let me say that. That was a long one. <laughs> if, we are, if we find ourselves without strength, we may have allowed the forces of the political spirit to create a version of who we are based on fear. Okay, let me explain. Okay, the political spirit goes way back to the Garden of Eden. Okay, when Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was desirable for gaining wisdom, and when the spirit said, if you eat this fruit, you will become like God. Okay, that was the political spirit. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the political spirit entered into this world. And they rejected the government of God, and they introduced the government of man. Okay? So the political spirit is not always necessarily tied to a governmental institution. It is the influence that causes us to desire to be powerful. The political spirit is the influence that causes us to desire to be powerful. Okay? Does that make sense? So the political spirit, it battles for control. Okay? Because control equals power. So the more that we are in control, the more powerful we feel. And the more we feel like we're out of control, the less powerful we feel. Okay? That's the political spirit. It continually tells us that we must win or we have lost. And in order for me to win, other people have to lose. Okay? Does that make sense so far? So the political spirit, it governs by fear. Okay? So if it's governing by fear, it says to be, to be powerful, you must create a version of yourself that's always popular, always influential, always successful, and always happy. Anyone see that happening? <laughs> you must create a version of yourself that's always popular, always influential, always successful, and always happy. And you must hide your weaknesses and your failures. And if we get to the point that we can't hide our weaknesses and our failure, then we let fear tell us, well, that's who you are. You are weak and powerless. And that's what we create a version of ourselves that is inauthentic, either based on the lie that we're always happy, always influential, always successful, or that we're weak and powerless. Okay? Does that make sense? That's the political spirit, okay? This was the condition of the people at the time of Jesus, okay? The fact that Rome had been allowed to, by God to govern them made them feel like God was against them and that he had abandoned them. And so they had to work really hard to earn his favor back. And that's why the Pharisees wrote this long list of laws that they had to follow. They may have had good intentions in doing that, but what they allowed themselves to do was to, to partner with something much more powerful than Rome, which was the political spirit. If we can keep the people under control, then, and because we're afraid of Rome, if we keep the people under control, then we have some sense of feeling powerful. 
And the more they kept the people under control with this long list of rules and laws, the more they gained favor with Rome and the more powerful they felt. But they created a version of God's people that was based on fear that was powerless to stand and remember who they were. Okay? Does that make sense so far? They may have had good intentions in all of this, but they were partnering with something much more powerful than they realized. Okay? So Jesus walked around reminding people who you are. You don't have to partner with this fear. You don't have to feel powerless. You are God's covenant people. You have a promise. You are not without strength. You are powerful no matter who's in the position of earthly power. Okay? All right? So I read this article this week by R.C. Sproul Jr., and it was actually written in 2019, and I thought it was really good. He said, I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from it. He said, the Pharisees had brokered a rather uneasy peace between the powers of Rome and the people of Israel. Jesus' popularity, his talk of the kingdom, his affirmation that he was, in fact, the Messiah, threatened this uneasy peace. If people were to get behind Jesus, Rome would awake and start killing Jews indiscriminately, not bothering to distinguish between the supporters of the Pharisees and the supporters of Jesus. The Pharisees hated Jesus not because he made them look bad with the people, but because he made them look bad to Rome. We would be wise to remember this, for the pattern remains. When persecution comes, it comes first not from the state, but from the part of the church that seeks to appease the state. Let me say that again. When persecution comes, it comes first not from the state, but from the part of the church that seeks to appease the state. It is those who aspire to maintain respectability, those who remove the gospel's offense, those who exchange their prophet's mantle for something more hip. These are they who betray Christ and his bride. Persecution in the end doesn't divide the church, but exposes where the line is between the wheat and the chaff. That's a strong statement, but it's true. <laughs> because if we are the people of God, if we are the church, if we are standing on the truth and in the righteousness, there is no earthly force that can stop that. There's no force in hell that can stop that. We can only stop ourselves. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. The political spirit. So, number two, if we are finding ourselves without strength, we have allowed the forces of a religious spirit to create a version of God that is powerless or un unwilling to rescue us. Yeah, we'll say that again. <laughs> if we are feeling without strength, we have allowed the forces of a religious spirit to create a version of who God is that is either powerless or unwilling to rescue us. Okay? All right, the political spirit, it governs by fear, getting us to create a version of who we are based on fear that is powerless. Okay? Does that make sense? If we are powerless, what does that say about the God that we serve? That he is either unwilling or unable to rescue us. Okay? 
That is the religious spirit, okay? So the religious spirit wants us to create a God um, or to create an image of God that fits whatever we need him to be in our present circumstance. All right, let me say this again because that's a lot. The religious spirit wants us to create an image of God in our heads that fits whatever we need him to be in our present circumstances. Okay? Does that make sense? It wants us to, um, it creates a God in the image of our own strength. Whatever we think he's capable of doing is who we believe him to be. So we create him in the image of our own strength. It creates a God that can be controlled and explained. Okay? It has an, it has an answer for every question. Because the answers make someone who is under the influence of the religious spirit feel powerful. They feel powerful when they have the right answer or what they feel is the moral high ground in every situation. And the world can die around them, including them with it, as long as they feel like they are right and that they have an answer. Because that's how they feel powerful. Okay? So... Several years ago, a friend of mine invited me to her church because they were having a healing service, okay, and she was really excited because she knew how I felt about healing, and she was like, hey, my church is having a healing service. Come see what what God is doing in our church. So I said, okay, and I get there, and the church is packed out, and they're singing these songs about who God is and that he's a healer, and the faith is really high in the room. And then the pastor, he gets up to share his message. And so he begins by saying, hey, God is all powerful. Like he can do anything. Like he can heal. He can do these things. But let me spend the next 30 to 45 minutes to tell you all the reasons why that's probably not going to happen for you. Because even though God is powerful and even though he can, he usually doesn't. Because there's something else he, would, he wants you to go through or to do. or He had all these reasons. He had all these answers about why it doesn't happen. And I was getting more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. <laughs> like, just, I try really hard, you know, to like, okay, like I'm going to honor, you know. <laughs> and then I'm just like, I start shifting and getting really uncomfortable. And then at the end of his message, he shares this story from his own personal experience about someone who was really, really close to him who got sick really young and he died and, and she and he prayed and he begged God and he asked God to heal her and she passed away into heaven. And he and I realized at that moment that he's sharing that story that he had created a version of God in his head that gave him an answer for his experience and what he went through. And, and the message that he was given to the people was coming from compassion. He believed, he believed it was coming from compassion because he believed that having an answer was, was more like peaceful than not having an answer. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, we don't have an answer 
for why sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't see it for the next life. There is no answer. The answer is the word said he's a healer every time. It's his character. Jesus, every time he encountered a sick person, they were healed every time. There's not a recorded time in scripture where Jesus encountered someone that he was like, I'm sorry, like it's just it's the Lord's will for you to be sick. I can't do anything this time. Never one time. And if that was the will of the Lord, he would have said it in his word, but he didn't. So we don't create a God in our own image that gives us an answer for what we need to believe him to be where he is unwilling or powerless to rescue. We say this is who he is, and we don't have an answer for why we don't always see it, but we're pressing on so that what we see matches what we know to be true. Okay? Does that make sense? Like I was sitting in that service, and I will never forget this image as long as I live. I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, like, the, the aisles are flooded with people, and they're praying, and they're, this is, like, this is presented as, like, their one chance. Like, maybe. Like, if I... If I can just, like, beg hard enough, maybe, maybe I'll be one of the ones he chooses to heal. And I'm watching all this happen, and this man, he turns around and he comes back. And if there was an image of a man who was without strength, it was that he wasn't even very old. And he's walking, he's got a walker, and he's got a person on either side of him helping him back. And the look on his face is one I'll never forget, and I never want to forget. It's this this despair, this hopelessness. My God is unwilling to rescue me. And that image drives me to change the narrative of the church to the truth of who their God is. He is willing, (laughs) and he is able, and we don't have all the answers, but we press in to who we know him to be, because if we create a version of him that is less than who he says he is, we are partnering with a religious spirit, and it's keeping us from living in the fullness of what he paid for us to have, okay? Does that make sense? You guys okay? So this spirit leaves us with a fear of being wrong. If we are wrong, it makes us feel out of control and powerless. And so a person who is under this influence, they can never be wrong. So when confronted with the truth, they get really angry because that anger is based on fear. I must have the right answer. And that is why the synagogue ruler got really upset (laughs) And the people, it says the people, when Jesus gave them, hey, ought not this woman who's a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound, if you can take your, your donkey or your ox and they're tied and you can untie them from their post and you can lead them to water, which is life, should not this woman be untied from that which binds her so that she can be led to life? When he confronts them with the truth, they just get more angry. Because it's not the answer, it's not the explanation of God that they have in their head as the image of who he is. Okay? Does that make sense? You know, it's, it's interesting, it says that Jesus' adversaries were 
humiliated and ashamed. And it actually means like, like not just ashamed, like put to shame. <laughs> like they didn't have, like all of a sudden, like they're bowed down. Like I don't really know how to, I can't, you know, show my face right now. But it's called, it, there's this play on words so many times in this story. It's with the untying of the animals, the untying of the woman. And one of them is like, he says, whom Satan has bound. That word Satan means adversaries. And then he says, hey, Jesus' adversaries were put to shame. It's this, this, hey, you are partnering with Satan who is opposed to the work of God. This is what you're doing when you partner with the religious spirit. Okay? Does that make sense? Are you guys okay? Oh, man. Okay. Sorry. I have five minutes. <laughs> Number three. If we find we are without strength... We have given the wrong authority our seat of power. So Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This, mean that I, this means that our battle is not against earthly authorities. Okay? Our battle is in the spiritual realm. Okay, Jesus never once tried to lead in a, a rebellion to overthrow Pilate and Herod and Rome. Never, it, never once. And he was like, had no, he, like, he had nothing to say about them. You know who he did overthrow? The prince of this world. And he disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 15. <laughs> okay? He, over, he didn't have to overthrow Rome. He had to overthrow the political spirit and the religious spirit and their influence on his people. Okay? And then, before it says that, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says this in Ephesians chapter 1. In his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That means now. He has this victory now. And then in Ephesians 2 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Where? Far above all rule and authority and power and every title that can be given. Okay? Don't let the wrong authority sit in your seat. That's your seat. <laughs> you, like, if you don't sit there, they will sit there and govern your life. You got to kick them out. And you guys say, get out of my seat. That's my seat. You can't tell me I don't have access to the promises of God because someone, like, told me I didn't. Like, my, my authority is not an earthly authority. It's not the enemy. My authority is Jesus. And he is seated far above all rule, authority, title that can be given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has raised me up to co-seat with him in the heavenly realms. We should never be without strength. Okay? Let me tell you what he did say. This is, I love this. So, so later in this chapter, someone, 
<laughs> it's just some of the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you should probably leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod's trying to kill you. And, you know, like translation is like, hey, we're worried that like, Herod's going to be upset with us because you're here. <laughs> so they're like, hey, maybe you should go somewhere else. And I love Jesus' response. He says, hey, you go tell that fox. You, you know what a fox means in their language? It means he's insignificant. If a ruler was significant, they were called a lion. If they were insignificant, they were called a fox. He said, you go tell that fox that I will heal the sick and I will drive out demons today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'm going to reach my goal and he can't stop me. <laughs> stand up sometimes we got to look at the foxes in our life and we got to say hey my focus is I will heal the sick and I will drive out demons and at the end I will reach my goal and you can't stop me because I'm a lion and you're a fox you don't have the authority you don't have the power you can't stand in my way. I am never without strength. I have a covenant. I have the power. All right. Pops, you can start that playlist. Here's what I want us to do. If you are sick, <laughs> today is your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. This is the place where you don't leave the same way. If you are without strength at all, if you are sick or you just feel weary, tired, without strength, I want you to come up. It says Jesus said he called her to him. So I just want you to come up. And the rest of you that are out there, remember that song that we sing? When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I want you to pray. And I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. And if you're on the prayer team or, um, or fivefold, I want you to just come around and start laying hands. This is the day of healing.